This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's path with an S. Hello and welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm John T. And I'm Jackie P. We're excited again today to have Kelly McDaniel with us. Hi, Kelly. Hi, glad to be here. Um, Kelly reached out to us with uh, an idea for a show that um, I've been really intrigued by and and excited to have this conversation. Yeah. Um, So Kelly recently wrote a blog post and we'll put a a link to it, um, commenting on the recent movie, I, Tanya, Uh starring Margaret Robbie and was it Allison Janning? Yes. Yes. Um, and so we're, we're going to have a discussion around that. A couple of disclaimers on this. Um, we, we know that uh, this movie is a work of art, and with all biographical pictures, um, there are parts of it that hit on truth, and there are parts of it that are not related to the truth at all. Um, so we're not talking specifically about Tanya Harding with any kind of expertise or insight into her life. We're looking at this movie and what it spoke to us about some of Kelly's work with um, women with mother wounds, um, some elements of toxic love, and some of the seedbeds of love addiction. And I just wanted to add to that. I, I imagine, right, as I was sitting in the theater watching the movie, I, I can only imagine what it would be like to have my life portrayed on the big screen, mm-hmm. right, in this theatrical way. And just how much pain that might be. And I may, I may say, because I've done this before where I'm sitting in my own therapy session and my therapist says something to me and I'm like, oh no, like that's, that's, let's soften that a little bit. That sounds a little too harsh. I've wanted to have that conversation with Queen Elizabeth because there's lots done about Mm. (laughs) girls. Yes, me too. (laughs) Wondering how she's feeling if she's watching The Crown. Right. Right. Yes, yes. So again, being respectful that, you know, Tanya Harding, the real person, may have some um, qualms about how this movie portrayed Mm -hmm. her life. And And we want to be respectful of that and and yet just base our... um, conversation and dialogue today, not based on any factual insider scoop that we have or some diagnosis, you know, none of us have met with her clinically, but just to really base it around the movie and what we as clinicians can see portrayed and the lessons to be learned from that movie. Yeah. Well said, well said. And when I was writing the article, I was feeling very tender toward Tanya Harding and the fact. Oh, we just lost you. Kelly, you cut out. Daughter, and and how complicated it must be to watch her story come alive for the general audience. Yeah, and that was that was my first question. I hadn't heard of this movie before you emailed us, and as I researched a little bit, and in full disclosure, I didn't I didn't see it yet. Um, But did any of you know this backstory to Tanya Harding? Because I remember being young and hearing about Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan and how something awful happened. And- right. I mean, I was, I'm old enough to remember like when it happened and watching, so watching the movie and seeing the Olympics and like, I, 
I remember that. And I remember watching the Olympics and the story and all of that. Um, it was an interesting perspective. I didn't know that backstory, but I think I did know um, that like she kind of didn't have a good reputation for being the nice, mm -hmm. wealthy figure skater that the figure skater community wanted her mm -hmm. to be. And I think the movie did a good job at looking at the classism yes. that is alive and well in Olympic sports, that mm -hmm. there is a certain amount of um, discrimination going on around class, manners, and elegance. Mm -hmm. um, and I think she did a nice job, the movie did a nice job of, of showing that not only was Tanya herself um, a victim of maternal cruelty, which was really what I was examining from a perspective of mother hunger, which is what I write about. But also she was a victim of um, a classist society. Yeah. And in all of that had the perseverance of a true athlete. Yes. And if, if there was anything that came from poor media coverage back in the day, it was a true scapegoating of Tanya Harding. Yes. which I think is a form of sexism, classism, and a misunderstanding of trauma. Mm -hmm. That when people have been traumatized, their behavior can reflect that of their perpetrator. So at times, if Tanya is going to be stressed in the movie, the movie does a great job of showing how when we do get stressed, uh, we can sometimes have an edge. Mm -hmm. We can... We can bark, we can be brittle because we've learned how to be protective of our tender heart. Mm -hmm. uh, and we all know that as athletes who have to perform, you need an edge, right? Right. right. I, so go ahead, John. I, I was just going to say, watching the Winter Olympics um, mm -hmm. this, this time around, I actually wanted to mute it and not listen to the commentators because they'd say things like, oh, they're not going to medal now. Uh. And like, this must be so disappointing. And I was thinking, I'm really glad the athletes can't hear that, or I hope the athletes yes, can hear yeah. that because yeah, the language yeah. is very shaming. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in general, when we look at athletes, we can even look back at Tiger Woods and what a gross misunderstanding there was of his upbringing that right. could lead to both the resilience and the perfectionism that creates the great athlete, but hides the shame that can also have a darker side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and the suffering that comes. Um, mm -hmm when folks have not been able to reach their higher self while also performing. Mm -hmm. And so I think this movie um, does a great job of showing that complicated relationship between high achievement, perfectionism and excellence and agony. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what it does is beautifully tie it back to the mother and the daughter. And this is where I think this movie has hit on something brilliant. Yeah. Um, in looking at the mother and daughter, the audience is able to make sense of why the future marital relationship, the future romantic relationship for the heroine in the story, which is Tanya, would be set up for failure. Right. How many times have you all heard people say when they're talking about a woman who's in an abusive relationship, well, why doesn't she just leave? Yeah. That was, I've, I've said a lot in getting into this field, that was my bias. Like, why, why do you have to work so long with women who are abused? Right. Isn't it a simple choice? Right. Right. And on the, on paper, it might look like it would be. Mm -hmm. Right. And yet, you know, I was talking with somebody, a, a client a couple weeks ago and she was asking, 
it was, she was kind of talking and commenting on the Me Too movement. Um, yeah. And she just kind of mentioned that whole, it, which is along the same lines of thinking, why don't the women just leave? Yeah. Or why don't, why don't the women say no? Right. And mm-hmm. I kind of just said, you know, I don't, I don't know how you are, but I, I like to think of myself as a fairly evolved, functional, mature adult female. And it's still sometimes really hard for me to say no to somebody. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I don't always do that really well in my life. And it takes a great deal of internal working to get myself to look at somebody and say no. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're right. And let's add to that. Okay. The, the, first of all, there's the social construction around femininity that femininity does not say no. So, right. okay, right. we've got that. But then add a level of fear. Let's add a power right. imbalance to a dynamic where you're in a position as a woman where you need to muster up the energy and the efficacy to say no. Well, if you're frightened uh-huh. because your job is in danger, your socioeconomic well-being is in danger, your reputation is in danger, you're going to go into the certain fight and flight mode. And what women also do when they're frightened, if they can't run and they can't fight, is they appease. Yes. Okay. This is what a woman does when she's about to be assaulted, um, is to appease the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. It's a very highly evolved, generally effective way of being safe. Mm -hmm. So if you apply that to a woman who's having a hard time saying no, it's because she's too busy appeasing the ego of who her perpetrator is, whether that is uh, her boss or, in this case of this movie, her mother mm-hmm. or and, and her future husband. Right, because that's how she's – like we think that saying no is going to make her feel safe, but the appeasement no. is attempting to do the same thing. Yes, because appeasement lets a woman stay in relationship. Mm-hmm. The biggest threat to a woman is not that she's going to be hurt, it's that she's going to be left alone. Mm-hmm. So if both of those things are being threatened at the same time, which one's going to win? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. She's going to risk being hurt to stay in the relationship. This is hardwired into the female system, mm-hmm. the female brain, because we're wired as women to protect those that we care for if we're in danger and when we're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so given the opportunity to run or bond, we will bond even mm-hmm. with someone who's dangerous. Mm-hmm. So, so Kelly, could you speak a little bit to how that dynamic would play into the mother that is cruel to her children? Yes. Yes. So a, a baby is born to attach. She's born with the necessary um, hardwiring in her brain to attach to her caregiver, her mother. And she's going to do that to survive. And she's going to do that even if her mother's unsafe. Mm -hmm. She has to attach to this mother in order to develop um, her brain in in order to actually survive. Mm -hmm. So when an infant is placed in a position, either very young or any time in the developing years, with an abusive, an angry, a neglectful caregiver, a mother who has no shame, a mother who has really no concept of the harm that she's placing upon her daughter, the daughter's still going to bond with her. Mm-hmm. What's the choice? Now, if there is a choice, and we saw this beautifully in the Atanya movie, where she had her father early on. Mm-hmm. So we called this deferred attachment. When a daughter cannot bond with the mother in a safe way, she'll defer the attachment, transfer it 
to a safe caregiver. And she tried that with her father and then her father left her. Right. Left her alone with her mother. And the scene is poignant in the movie where the little girl is crying saying, really, you're going to leave me here. You can't leave me here. Yeah. Well, and, and in that particular scene in the movie, you see mom on the front porch watching this all play out. And, and you get that sense that mom knew this deferred attachment was happening, was not okay with it. Mm -hmm. Um, except maybe that dad kind of helped ease some of the burden mom may have felt by being the primary caregiver. Um, but that mom was not responding in a soft, comforting, safe way at all. She really didn't have the capacity. Right. And I think we see over and over again in the movie where a daughter will again and again and again, give her mother another chance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, not consciously, but always bringing the mother an opportunity to love me, bond with me, be here for me. We saw it even as the adult Tanya embraces her mother tearfully um, after she's being scrutinized by the press and her mother manipulates her and says, I'm here, I'm on your team. And then we find out, She's actually just trying to get information. Mm -hmm. But you see in that the daughters generally will always give their mother another chance. Mm -hmm. That is the primary bond. So, and and that was a piece that you'd put in the blog. You said something like people don't want to believe that mothers can be cruel. Yes, that's Um, true. Yeah. And I I was just thinking, I, I know that little girls can be cruel. I know that little boys can be cruel. I know that teenage girls can be cruel. I know that women can be cruel. It's almost as if we want to believe that something magical happens when motherhood happens, that the very nature of people are changed. And it's like there's this, it's almost like this blood-brain barrier where cruelty just doesn't get through into parenting, but it does. That's right. That's right. Well, I think there is that, that common myth that when you become a mother, some switch flips on in you your maternal instincts right yeah. and it, and you become a different person because and that because you have mammary glands you will now know how to developmentally through all the life stages appropriately respond to your child regardless of their gender or their mm-hmm. personality right mm-hmm. you know i think the person who speaks best to this taboo is author peg street she has written the book mean mothers and i would really like for anyone who's listening to have this as a resource if you find that you're interested in maybe the relationship with your own mother or you are becoming a mother thinking about being a mother um, and this concept that a mother could be mean is shocking to you or perhaps intriguing peg street is the resource okay good good to know and i think also in the movie there was this um scene where Tanya had met up. I think they had been, she had tried to cut off some contact with mom and they were meeting up at the restaurant um, that her mom worked at. And, and mom, I don't remember if my husband were here, he remembers lines verbatim from movies and I don't have to because he does. So you told (laughs) us in men's group too, that was a man thing. Right. I think that must, (laughs) I don't do that, but, um, but her mom was saying something to the effect of, and and you kind of got a glimpse into Tanya's mother's relationship with her mother. Yes. And that this went, and, and that Tanya's mother was basically saying, I did you a favor. Yes. And I think she actually believed that. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that does point to the epigenetics of this, that um, maternal cruelty gets handed down generation to generation. Uh-huh. And that any time, 
a daughter who becomes a mother can break that cycle. It's a radical move. Mm. Right. Another movie that did a great job with the look at the mother-daughter bond and how powerful it is, is the Black Swan movie that Natalie Portman was in mm. years ago. Did you all see that? Do you remember you know that I movie? I did see that. I meant to. I had Well, um, probably the mother-daughter topic isn't quite as intriguing to you as it is to me, <laughs> but it was affecting my writing at the time. Uh-huh. And Aronofsky did a brilliant job of looking at the perfectionism, again, of an athlete, a ballet dancer the desire to please her mother, reach her mother that is insatiable and unattainable. And then the psychopathology that comes from that failure to bond. Mm. In the Atanya moving, we see how that plays out relationally in an addictive, abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. In the Black Swan movie, it's more of the eating disorder, anorexia, compulsive self-harm. These are the classic two options that happen for unmothered daughters. They will either addictively search for love or addictively self-harm, sometimes both. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're not necessarily in this episode talking about the sports industry, but I think that the sports industry, probably other industries are as well, are very set up for females with these wounds to go into that hoping, right, that if, I, if I'm an Olympic athlete, if I perform this, if I do that, then I'll finally be enough or I'll finally get the attention from my mom that I'm yearning for. And a lot of times just the pressure and the demands and the rigors of being a professional athlete actually take about. Right. And I think this is definitely the case with ballet. I think mm. we've seen where um, top-notch dancers and and ballerinas um, are really encouraged towards starvation Mm -hmm. and overachieving. So I think you're on to something there about both industries. Um, But really, our whole culture is so obsessed with being on your A-game at all times (laughs) Um, that a daughter who's looking for approval uh, can really go in any direction and take it too far. Well, and that's what I thought this I, Tanya movie did a great job at showing. I mean, it showed the <clears throat> abusive, cold relationship between her and her mom and the damage that yeah. that did. But then there was this institution of the figure skating organization that did yes. the same thing, right? Exactly. That she, mm-hmm. she would nail performances. <clears throat> and at one point in the show, she says to her coach, like, why can't, or no, maybe she says it to the judge. She says it, I think, to one of the judges once. Why can't it just be about the skating? Right. right. Why can't you just judge me on my skating? Like, why right. are you, why can't I win? Like, I'm better than everybody out there. Exactly. And it was almost in her, uh, her daring to mm-hmm. confront that you could see the male judge that she was confronting as a representative of the entire institution, not just of the world figure skating, but mm-hmm. of patriarchy right. looking at her as if, how dare you? Right. Right. So it was really well done. The, yes. the movie just did a great job of showing how Tanya was fighting um, her own family of origin, as well as the institutional structures in Western patriarchy. Yeah. yeah. And you and had, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and the misogyny, right? That, that, yes. that comes out when, when females start to, 
to challenge or push back against those patriarchal structures and those messages steeped in patriarchy for females, that's when the misogyny comes and says, no, you get back in your place. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's exactly right. And I think, I think that's a real pressure cooker um, for those perfectionistic drives and that need to be seen that need to achieve especially when you get the misogyny and the the patriarchy pushing back and pushing down. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what you're both illustrating too is how, again, this movie does such a good job of showing when love is twisted as it was in the um, Tanya Harding story, both in her family and then in her romantic life, it's a misuse of power. Power and love get confused. Mm -hmm. And so that's what happens when we live in a, patriarchal power over power under culture yeah families mimic the strategy the strategy of power over and so do institutions mm-hmm. yeah. and the movie tackled a lot by touching on all of that and i have to hand it to margot robbie i mean what a role to take on oh right and didn't she just do a magnificent job? I mean, yeah. she stepped right into the athleticism. She stepped into the agony of each piece of this. Her facial expressions mm-hmm. show so much the torture of an unloved daughter. Right. Yeah, we're, take a chance um, when you're listening to this. I don't think this pulls through to whatever your podcast app is, but if you go to our website, the image we're going to use for this is it, it's a picture of Margot Robbie with that like tortured smile, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. pain behind the face. Mm-hmm. It's just such an exquisite picture. So um, kudos to Margot Robbie and kudos to the photographers who did this. And, and I think the timing of discussing this is good since the awards are going to be happening this Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, I don't know. I, I don't follow it enough to know what kind of awards it may be up for, but I sure hope it gets well-due recognition. Yeah. 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 I, I wanted, I wanted to go back a little bit, Kelly, and have you talk about something. Sure. So as you're talking about the bond that she forms with her mother, and then um, that sets her up for the kind of bond that she's going to have with her husband. Um, yes. Previously, I'd always called that trauma bonding. Mm-hmm. Um, and in your blog, you use the term toxic love. And mm-hmm. I, I think for me, trauma bonding speaks to what went on in the individual. Toxic love seems like it speaks to what the relationship was bathed in. Could you talk a little more about that concept of toxic love and how that influences this? Sure, sure. And I think I really um, use those terms perhaps incorrectly, but interchangeably. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that with the female brain, and I can speak more to that than I can the male brain because I've studied it more. But females develop a sense of who they are in a relationship, not outside of a relationship. So if a woman is formulating who she is, um, she has to have a relationship to do that in. And if that relationship is an abusive one, she will still attach to it. That's what we call a trauma bond. But that can also be called a toxic environment, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's not an environment that is conducive to healthy self-worth. If a woman or a female child doesn't have someone to help her identify and navigate emotions, regulate her own feelings and her own development, she can't do it. So what she'll do is end up taking on the emotions of those around her or suppressing her so deeply that she truly doesn't know who she is. And I call this the divided self. And the divided self happens in a trauma bond. 
Um, generally, it happens very young, and that's how and why a woman will attract the kind of partner that will perpetuate that, that sense of division, right? Because a healthy partner is going to help her integrate. And generally, a woman's got to seek out a clinician to help this process because, you know, that's, that's what we do. Right. <laughs> we, right. we can be that healthy person to help her regulate her brain, but generally... Um, in a marriage, that's not always who this person will attract. Did I answer your question? I think you did, but I, I would like you to say more just about that splitting that happens in, with Good. the trauma bonding. Good. Okay. Okay. So um, the split happens as a survival mechanism. So let's be sure we understand that. But in the developing core self, a little girl can't come up with a self-concept without a relationship to do that in. And she's going to mirror, she's going to use the mirroring to know herself. So if her mother mirrors back, you're a terrible person. I don't like you. Mm. Go away. That's going to be her self-concept. Mm. If a mother instead mirrors back, oh, you're so precious. Oh, you're sad today. I understand that. Come sit with me then she's going to learn to be okay with the emotions she has because she's not alone with them. If she's left alone with her emotions or shamed for them, she will separate from them to survive it and, and literally and, not know how she feels. And that's what I call the divided self. Okay. And just to clarify, mom may or may not actually use those words. Right. 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 But the energy, the, what the daughter <clears throat> is picking up on, just in terms of with mom, like if she goes to hug mom and mom tenses, right? Right. That's also saying those words without ever saying those words. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think that is harder sometimes for anyone to identify. I'm using the movie because it is such an outrageous example mm -hmm. of maternal cruelty. But more often, it is much more subtle. It's more like what you're saying, where the mother, for whatever reason, isn't able to respond to her daughter. And therefore, a daughter internalizes an inability to respond to herself. Mm -hmm. Over time, as she grows, if that's chronic and ongoing and there's no repairing that goes on, um, she can't know herself and that's where I call the divided self where she has an adapted personality that'll come on board and be present to the world she doesn't really know how she feels she may mm -hmm. never know um, what her true desires are and most young girls at this point develop some sort of addiction to keep that divided self alive mm -hmm. and, and, and then when they take that into their relationships their right. romantic sexual relationships. They're taking in that divided self. They're taking exactly. that lack of awareness. That's right. And so the person who falls in love with them, who do you think they've fallen in love with? <laughs> Not the real self, right? Right. right? Because there isn't one. You call no that one the, knows it. The adapted, the adapted personality. Yes, exactly. And so that adapted personality can be a real shock in a marriage. Um, to a woman who realizes, whoa, how did I get here? How did I choose this person? Because as she gets to know herself, and um, it, it may not be that every part of her would have chosen this marriage or this person. Right. Yeah, right, I've, but it was chosen for her. 
-hmm. that at least that type of person was chosen for her by the mother. And from the adapted personality that right. survived the mother. Yep. Right, right. As mm -hmm. you're talking about that, my head is going through this Rolodex of women that I've worked with and those visceral moments where it clicked like this wasn't me. This wasn't yeah. this wasn't the yeah. true me that chose this. That's right. Isn't that amazing to witness? Mm. Yeah. It's it's been like those those moments have always excited me. It's also another moment of the heartbreak. It is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. I think as you witness the heartbreak and a woman feels the regret of a lifetime of choices that don't reflect who she is. Mm -hmm. You know, how many times a woman realizes if she could do it over again, maybe the choice to have children would have been more comfortable, mm -hmm. more conscious, or a choice of career or the lack thereof. I mean, so much loss. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and in the movie, I, Tanya, one of the um, scenes I thought, or it, I mean, it just, so the, the movie's kind of set up as a series of interviews, too, that they're doing with people kind of reflecting back on mm -hmm. the events, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're interviewing Tanya, quote unquote, um, in her present day, right, mm -hmm. about what happened. And she says about the Nancy Kerrigan incident uh, she's talking about the incident, and she she says, again, I think this is the exact quote, but I could be wrong, um, something to the effect of, Nancy Kerrigan gets hit, and the whole world goes to shit, and I get hit every day of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it was just one of those, like, I, th I think you see in that statement that she makes, um, the struggle that she had lived in, and just even you know, that, that adult self now that was out of that and had gone on with her own life was still trying to make sense of it through that lens she was given as a young girl. Mm -hmm. Well said. I think that's a great illustration of the adapted personality speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That was the edge. That was the personality that she constructed to survive her mother. A very different voice than the original little girl we saw. I thought the movie did a great job of showing what the original child really looked like. She was precious. She yeah. was innocent. And she developed quite a hard shell to survive. And so then that's what we see right. in the current day um, Margot Robbie illustration of Tanya Harding, which is, uh, yeah, I'm pretty tough. You're yeah. not going to mess with me. Yeah. That reminds me of what you talked about when we interviewed you last time with the mother hunger and how, some people will hear that phrase and they will like melt into it and others will mm -hmm. get much harder. Like mm -hmm. I never wanted her. I don't need that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Which speaks to the thorough adaptation, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think the more adapted a person we see the actual deprivation is it's a great measure of how hungry that person really is. And I, I think that's such an important way that you're phrasing that the adaptation and you're saying that over and over again um, is in, in my work with um, the, the few women comparatively that I worked with around issues like that. Um, there will be that, like, this is just who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm just mm -hmm. a bitch or maybe mm -hmm. I'll never have good relationships. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. I love that it's, it's yeah. adapted. Mm hmm. I like differentiating the adaptation from the core self um, mm -hmm. who 
maybe never had a chance to evolve and develop. And I think a lot of times by the time a woman comes into therapy for some help, she is somewhat hopeless or resigned mm -hmm. that maybe I am just like this and I'm always going to be this way. Um, it, it can, it's tragic, really. Well, and I mean, regardless of, or in addition to, maybe that's a better phrase, <clears throat> not regardless, but in addition to what's happening for this little girl in her family and within particularly that mother relationship <clears throat> and what she's seen mirrored back to her, um, she's also got the binary of patriarchy for her that right. also is damaging and, and can be confusing to sort through and start to see the authentic or core self. And I think that's the struggle for all women. Right. And this is what we inherit from our mothers, from our grandmothers and our great grandmothers. We inherit the legacy of cultural trauma. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you can add to that if we're a woman of color, you can add to that if we're not heteronormative, right. you know, the more our mothers and our ancestors have been marginalized and traumatized by the, normal society regulations, right? That are ideological, not always out, outright said, then that's going to be passed on epigenetically. Um, and we're seeing this in all kinds of research now. Um, I think women have known this for a long time, but now the scientific community is able to prove how this is transmitted um, in utero through the placenta from the grandmother to the daughter to then her daughter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there, there was a, you and Jackie were talking about this before we hit record, um, kind of the, after the credits, the updates on where mm. everybody was at. Could you guys talk about what you saw there and the significance of that? Yeah. I was just saying that, um, I, I think I had read an article that was kind of talking about Tanya Harding's response to the movie and, and that she felt like that the portrayal of her mom was more harsh than it really was. And, and at the end of this movie, um, as they're updating, like so-and-so spent this many years in prison and got released and this is what they're doing, the, you know, all these things that happened to people. And then it just says, you know, Tanya wants everyone to know, because it was saying where she lives and what her occupation is <clears throat> and that she has a son. And then it said, Tanya wants people to know that she is a good mother. And I just was thinking, what a split from that. Like, there's this part of her that's like, it wasn't that bad, which I can understand seeing things portrayed, brought to real life on the big screen and watching that, how that must feel for her. And yet there was this part that after all is said and done, the thing she wants people to know is she's a good mom. Mm -hmm. Speaks to how strong our cultural pressure is to be good mothers as women. Mm -hmm. I think the shame of um, not doing a good job as a mother can, can really be paralyzing. But I also think this really speaks to how much we want our mother's love. Mm -hmm. And to actually admit that our mother didn't love us or to really admit that her cruelty was real mm -hmm. still strikes a terrible chord of shame. Because the belief internalized is it must have been my fault. It must be because I'm not lovable. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's, it's a process. It's really a process for a daughter to recognize if her mother was actually cruel. 
um, because that process really is about separating the mother from the self mm-hmm. and acknowledging that that woman could not love rather than I'm not lovable. Right. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. And it's such, again, I think Peg Streep speaks to this beautifully in her book, Mean Mothers. And she's got a new book out, just came out called Daughter Detox. Oh. And I think she really helps daughters grown up really unravel this, that this can, you can separate who you are from your mother and whether or not you're lovable is her capacity to love you is not a measure of your lovability. But I think most women internalize that um, to the core of them. Yes. That ability to love and to give love. And to think that we're lovable. If our mother didn't love us, there's really no worse shame. Right. If our own mother can't love us, we must be really, really awful. (laughs) So I think to... um, to the credit of somebody says it really wasn't that bad. Well, that's some self-preservation right there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and for me, that was that, you know, because, I mean, the movie, like we've said, it touched on so many layers mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a masterful way. And yet, at the end of this, I mean, it's, it's, it's about this incident, and it's not just about this incident. And for her, right, for Tanya Harding, after all of this, looking back, the one thing she wanted us to know was about her ability to be a mother, which mm-hmm. to me really speaks to the heart of the issue for her was about that mother wound mm-hmm. and the mother hunger that it left. Well said. Well said. And, and in that, we can have hope that um, she's been able to have some healing, which allows her to be a mother to her son that she feels good about mm-hmm. yeah. that she needed herself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And sometimes it isn't until a woman has her own children that she can heal enough to love herself mm-hmm. because she wants better for her children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found that I found that for me becoming a parent and I have four daughters um, wow. I know, oh, I know, right? I've said to my <laughs> husband before, I don't know how you need to heal from your family stuff, but apparently mine was by having four daughters. Um, <laughs> no way to hide. <laughs> no right? way to hide. No. Um, but there was something, I mean, being a mother, particularly to a, to a daughter, it, it yeah. brought me right back into some of my own pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it also mm-hmm. had this ability to heal it yes, in a way yes. that I couldn't really just get from my mother, you know, up right. until the day she died, I couldn't get that from her, but I got that from my own mothering mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. of my own daughters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how lovely to have four different opportunities in different forms and shapes and sizes. Right, right. As, as if different parts of yourself can then be mm. known as well. Oh, absolutely. I love yeah. that image. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Wow, what a challenge and what an opportunity. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I bet they're wonderful. And yes. there's no shortage of stories from Jackie that amuse <laughs> us and entertain us. And, yeah. <laughs> Well, I would love to hear them. I'm sure that's for, for a different episode, but I would love to hear them. <laughs> well, and, and we want to thank you, Kelly, for taking time again to come and talk to us and talk to our listeners. Um, 
we're going to put links to the the resources that you mentioned. Um, is there anything new that you're working on that you want our listeners to know about or anything old that you've got going that could be helpful? <laughs> I, you know, I think the last time I spoke with you all, and thank you, thank you for your interest in Mother Hunger and for your interest in my work. I mentioned that I'm writing that book, Mother Hunger. Well, I'm still doing that. So, (laughs) you know, a book is like a pregnancy. It takes a while. Um, But I'm really mostly excited about Peg Streep's new Daughter Detox book. I I I just love that that title. Right? I know. What an amazing title. Fantastic. Fantastic. And so that feels um, like a great opportunity for the clients that we serve. and something that's exciting to share with your listeners. So yeah, um, I can take no credit other than to pass along the good news. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we definitely will. And thanks again for your good. time today. Thank, thank you. you so much to both of you. And again, for your interest in this topic. Yep, thank you. At the end of this episode, remember that your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I'm learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to, re- to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.